Thanks, Jordan. Thanks, Gabe. Uh, today, <laughs> we celebrate the good news. In fact, the best news ever. The best possible news imaginable. I mean, if I were to ask you, what is the best possible news you could ever imagine receiving, what would that be? Uh, think about that for a moment. What's the best possible news you could hope to receive right now? In fact, forget for a moment that it's Easter Sunday. Forget what you're pretty sure I'm about to say. If I were to, to come up to you six weeks ago and, and, and ask you, what is the best possible news that you can imagine receiving right now, what would that be? Just, just think about that. Now, you've got that in your mind. Let me just tell you, the news we're celebrating today is even better. Somebody might be like, somebody might be like, I was thinking the best possible news is that I won the lottery and I will never, and I mean, I'm being real. I won the lottery, I will never uh, have to worry about money again. The news we're celebrating today is better. Somebody else might be like, the best possible news I could receive is that my family member or a close friend who, who I love so much, who has been struggling with a debilitating illness, they, they've been suddenly cured. That would definitely be good news. But the news about today is better. Somebody else might say, I was thinking the best possible news would be that, that the cultural and political upheaval we're all experiencing right now, the division, the political and corporate corruption, the deceit and the chaos, it's all been exposed, justice has been brought, and in a new day of global peace and harmony and genuine love suddenly and powerfully has swept the globe. Good news indeed. But the news we're celebrating today is even better. Let, let, let me just cut right to it. The good news we're celebrating today, the good news that is indisputably the best news imaginable is that death has been destroyed, evil has been defeated, your sin has been paid for, and eternal life is now yours through Jesus Christ. That is the best news ever, yes. <clears throat> not just hope for the here and now, not just justice and peace for this little blip of a moment here in April of 2023, not just a little happiness and security in this life, but ultimate peace, happiness, and security for all of eternity. A beautiful, glorious life in heaven forever and ever through Jesus Christ. And perhaps the best news of all is that you did nothing to earn it. You don't deserve it. And, and could never be good enough to qualify for it. But his, it has been secured for you through Jesus' death and resurrection. That is good news that indisputably trumps all other conceivable good news. And, and it's what sets Christianity apart from, from every other faith, religion, or creed in the world. See, every other faith or religion is centered around what you must do in order to qualify for heaven. You, 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 you've got to earn your way in. You, you've got to be good enough. You, you have to measure up. You have to prove your worthiness. All other religions are fundamentally about what you must do to even have a slim chance 
of heaven. But Jesus comes along and says, it's not about what you must do. It's about what I have done for you that you could never do for yourself. See, you have failed, and so have I. We've failed. We've all fallen short. Because of our sin and disobedience toward God, we've already disqualified ourselves from heaven, from, from fellowship with God, from eternal life. We've disqualified ourselves, but Jesus says, I, I have qualified you by taking your sins, your guilt, your failure upon me, and putting those things to death on the cross. I conquered evil because you could not. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the Christians living in Rome in the first century, he says this, Therefore, since we have been made right with God, or right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith in what he has done, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege, the privilege of heaven, where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. It reminds me of, of this story of the kids' ministry teacher who was testing the kids in her class to see if they understood the concept of, of how we get in to heaven. And, and she said, kids, if, if, if I sold my house and my car and had a big garage sale and gave all the money to the poor, would that give, give me, get me into heaven? And the kids all shouted, no, that, no, it won't get you into heaven. And she said, if, if I always obeyed my mom and dad without talking back and did all my chores and never told a lie, would that get me into heaven? And then all the kids shouted again, no. And now the teacher's smiling. She, she's thinking, hey, they're, they're getting it, you know? And, and she said, well, what, what about if I, all, if I always shared my, my toys and my candy with my little brother and sister and never fought or argued with them, then would I go to heaven? She asked, uh, uh, she asked them that, and they all shouted back, no. And she was so proud of them. And so proud of herself for doing such a good job as their teacher. So she said, so, so tell me, kids, so tell me, how do, do I get to heaven? And one five-year-old boy shouted, you gotta be dead. <laughs> and, and yeah, that's the one downside of going to heaven. You gotta die first. Uh, give that kid a, a gift card to yogurt land. Nailed it, you know. Um, <laughs> but this very real truth actually turns out to be a very powerful and very wonderful truth, this truth that we must die to go to heaven. Once we really begin to understand it, it becomes a great source of joy, great encouragement, and tremendous peace for us right now right now. Not in the sweet by and by, but today, right now, in our present lives, no matter what kind of hardship or suffering you may be dealing with in this moment. See, because what we may, may not readily grasp about this truth is the fact that it's not necessarily that we've got to physically die to go to heaven. Jesus and the other New Testament writers say that you can begin to live in it and experience it and possess it, heaven, even before you die physically. 
You, you can live in it and experience it and possess it even in this life, though death on your part is required. Not necessarily a physical death, but a death nonetheless. We're two weeks into a series called Alive Again, which is a bit unconventional to make Easter Sunday part two in a series. Best practices among churches typically suggest launching a new series on Easter Sunday to get people come back the next Sunday. But here we are in the middle of a series on Easter Sunday. Sorry if that messes with you. I apologize. But, but last week, part one of this series, we, we kind of dove into the backstory of Easter. This week, we're looking at the main event of Easter and why it's such good news for us. And next week, we're going to look at the, the ripple effect of Easter that it has had down through history up to this present day. But the title of our series is Alive Again, which implies that someone was once alive and, and then they weren't alive anymore and now they are alive again, right? That's the whole, whole idea. Yeah, or, or they can be alive again. Now, if we're talking about Jesus, of course, that's exactly what happened to him. He was physically alive and then he gave up his life uh, by allowing himself to be executed, which, which meant he was no longer alive physically, and then he was alive again. But this series, while it's very much about Jesus, it's also about the promise and potential that is available to you and me because of what Jesus has done. We can be alive again. We can experience new life right now, today, which, which if you haven't felt alive for a while which there may be some of us that are kind of there. Maybe you haven't felt m alive, much alive in the last, in the, you know, a few months or years even. Uh, it seems to be a growing thing with a number of people, just not feeling as alive as they used to be. Well, then this message is for you. You can be alive again. In fact, this is what Jesus was talking about when he said that you must be born again. In order to be alive again, you must be born again. See, we all get to a place in life. Some of you may, perhaps are there right now. Uh, some of us have to get to this place in life multiple times where, where we feel like we've hit a dead end in our life journey. We feel discouraged. We feel perhaps even despondent over life. Life maybe defeated or hopeless. Life has become weary and burdensome. Maybe it seems as though it's mostly just become a struggle and, and you don't know anymore where to find the strength or the motivation to keep struggling. And there could be lots of reasons for this, lots of contributing factors, maybe some financial adversity, maybe a, a medical or a health issue, maybe what seems to be uh, an unresolvable conflict in your marriage or in your family. Maybe you've lost your job or maybe even your business. Maybe you've lost a loved one. And life just doesn't seem to be worth living without that person being part of your life anymore. Sometimes it's not that you have died, but it's painfully obvious to you that part of you has. You feel like part of you has died. And maybe you might even be at the point where you actually wish you had died. Some of us have been there. I'm here to tell you the good news that that is actually a wonderful place to be. If that's where you are right now, that's a good place to be. You have so much to look forward to because here is what Easter tells us loud and clear on the other side of such loss, such hopelessness, and such pain. On the other side of such death is the promise of new life. 
a new and more glorious life, perhaps a life rooted in heaven itself. Jesus said this, If anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, the cross was universally understood to be an instrument of death in the first century, and follow me. By the way, when he said this, he said it before he had even gone to the cross, which had to have been a bit confusing to his disciples at that time, because at that particular time, the death, uh, the cross meant just one thing only. It was an, it was an instrument of, of execution, so it had to be a little confusing for them when Jesus said, take up your cross, before he had even gone to the cross, but it would become crystal clear to them, uh, to them all after his resurrection. Going on, he says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Jesus says we cannot receive the new and abundant life he wants to give us as long as we're holding on to our self-made, self-centered life. We must die. We must die to self. In a very real sense, we must come to the end of ourselves. But on the other side of such death is the promise of new life. But herein is one of the greatest challenges we face as human beings. Probably our biggest struggle, our greatest fear, we don't want to die, <laughs> right? We don't want to die. Even though we've been given the assurance of heaven, life after death, you know, and we know that everlasting joy awaits us, we tend to resist as a general rule and postpone for as long as we can. Uh, we, postpone, we, want to, we want to put off dying. We know physical death is inevitable. We know that. The mortality rate for us humans being still after centuries of scientific study and huge advancements in the field of, of, of medicine and biology, the mortality rate for us human beings still is at 100%. We're all going to face death. Despite this, we still find death very objectionable. Certainly physical death, but it could be argued that we find dying to self even more objectionable because it seems to describe a physical life or at least a physical existence, but an empty one. Dying to self sounds to us like it's a life void of the things that you are so convinced you can't live without. You're convinced you must have this or do this or you must be this or in order to feel fully alive. It's these very things that Jesus says you must die to, you must let go of, come to the end of if you really, really want to live because on the other side of such death is the promise of new life. <laughs> Listen, being, being dead usually is not that difficult for most people. All right? That's not the part that's objectionable. Think about it. Life is pretty easy after you're dead. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree? It's the dying that's the part that's so objectionable. It's the process of dying and the pain involved that we dread and resist and fight so hard against. Well, most people don't have a fear of death. They have a fear of dying, certainly of dying physically, but perhaps even more so of dying to self of dying to their own selfish interests, dying to their own sense of, uh, of self-importance, uh, of their own self-centered will and desire. See, dying to their need for control, 
dying to their ambitions, their self-rule, their ego, their craving for, for power and pleasure. This dying to self is frightening. It's terrifying and can be very painful. It's particularly painful the, the more tightly you cling to those things and maintain a vice-like grip on them. Even thinking about letting go of your wants or your dreams and ambitions or your comfort and security or your need for control. Just thinking about letting go of those things is terrifying for most people, which is why so many people would actually rather physically die than to try to live without them. But those who've embraced such dying to self have discovered that life is so much easier after you're dead. <laughs> Great Easter quote, right? Uh, Life is so much easier once you're dead. Um, once you've killed that ego, that sense of entitlement, that sense that the world owes you or that they owe you, sense of self-importance, the, the need to be right, the need to be respected, validated, affirmed, once you've put that to death, life suddenly becomes so much easier and more simple, more manageable, more peace-filled, Loving others becomes so much more natural for you. Why? What has happened? Well, once you've given up your self-rule and, and give your life over to the rule of Christ, once your own life is dead and now out of the way, once you let go of all that you thought was your life, God's now able finally to give you a newer, fuller, richer life, not one that's contingent upon having all your, the, the checklist of all your perceived uh, wants and needs all taken care of. Now, this is no better illustrated than, than through what happened on that first Easter, uh, Easter Sunday 2,000 years ago. I began this morning by asking you to imagine the best possible news you could, you could receive right now. The reality, the reality is, most of us, when you ask most people to imagine what the best possible news they could receive is, most people aim way, way too low. Win the lottery. It's way too low. Way too low. Their, their thinking is too, too short-term. It's, it's too limited, typically restricted to a very temporary problem or challenge they may be presently facing or struggling with, e even though, even though they, they are likely aware that such problems and challenges are in fact very temporary. They never seem like it in the moment, but as the saying goes, this too shall pass. But the Jews living in the Roman province of Judea in the first century, formerly the nation of Israel, they had been living under foreign rule for, for centuries. They, they were uh, oppressed politically and economically. They had little in the way of freedom, <clears throat> little in the way of security. Other parts of the world uh, actually enjoyed certain luxuries and, and leisure, you know, a wide variety of food and, and spices and hot baths and indoor plumbing and medicinal herbs for uh, physical ailments, very fo various forms of entertainment and recreation. Um, the Roman Empire was filled with this, but not so much um, in, in provinces like Judea. They were pretty much on the bottom rung of the economic ladder. But they were fully <coughs> persuaded that one day a leader would rise among them that would liberate them from their political oppressors and make them an independent and thriving nation once again, perhaps even restoring them to their former historical glory, a dominant nation in the world, an invincible global power. They had a dream and a vision of their future, but it was 
all about them. It was centered around them, their needs, their security, their freedoms and ambition, the fulfillment of their sacred wishes. And without question, God had clearly and very, clearly and very emphatically promised them a deliverer, a rescuer, a, a mighty Savior Messiah who would set them free, liberate them, and give them a better life. But they couldn't see the bigger, better picture of what God was really up to because it was, in their minds, it was all about them. The problems and challenges of their tiny country that they were facing in that very specific time and place in history. It was all about them. They couldn't see that God sent His only begotten Son into the world not just to make things good again for a tiny group of people who, who admittedly were getting a raw deal. They, they were getting a raw deal, and God knew that they were getting a raw deal. But they couldn't see that God's intention was to initiate a whole new deal that would make the raw deal they were getting just inconsequential. He was going to initiate a whole new, new deal, bring new life, not just a physical life for a span of 70 year, or 80 years, but new, abundant, and eternal life, life everlasting, rooted in heaven, abundant and overflowing. And, and the, the new thing that God was going to do to bring freedom, not just political freedom for them at that particular moment in time, but freedom from slavery to sin and evil itself, freedom from fear of what puny, fragile men could even do to them and to bring about the restoration of everything good and pure, righteousness, justice, all fully infused with and powered by God's unsurpassable love. He came to make all things new, but they couldn't see that, and because they couldn't see it, they couldn't receive it. All they could see was their very temporary problems and hardships in their very small, confined little world. So that when Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one, when he carried out his plans, which involved his own crucifixion, his own death, everyone, even his closest disciples, they saw it as a defeat, as a tragic disaster, something that had gone horribly wrong, and they became hopeless and despondent. They, the one that they had pinned all their political hopes on had appeared, appeared to have had suffered ultimate defeat and, and all their hopes, dreams, and ambitions were defeated with him. They fully believed it was the end of the road for them. Life was over, despondent, hopeless. It was the end of the road. What's the use of going on? But it was only Friday. It was only Friday. And those hopes and dreams and ambitions that they had put so much of their stock into, they had to die. They had to die because they were far too small. They were far too limited in their scope and too temporary and far too flimsy, frankly. Today, Jesus calls us to a similar kind of dying. He invites us to die to self, to, to let go, to let go of self-rule, self-will, to let go of and die to our need for control, our need, to, need for so many things that we've convinced ourselves that we cannot live without. See, there's only one that we cannot live without. 
our creator and father God, the source of all life, the source of all love and goodness and peace. And he calls us to die to self so that we can receive and experience and possess new, abundant, eternal life from him rooted in heaven. And that life can begin right now. So you didn't expect to come on Easter Sunday and hear a message about how you gotta die, did you? But it's good news. It's good news. Worship team, why don't you guys come back up? I came across this social media post. It's good. And you've probably seen it because I think it's been circulating. It's I saw it a couple times. This is what it says. Sometimes I joke about what I'd do if I had one day left to live. Eat junk, go crazy. The day it hit me, Jesus knew. He knew that he had just one day to live. What did he do? He washed feet. He washed feet. Think about this. Fully aware of the horrible torture and death he was going to endure in just a few hours. He calmly sat down with his disciples. He served them, washing their feet, teaching and instructing them, loving them, and then sharing a meal with them, just doing life with him. He, he apparently had not yet allowed his mind to be too preoccupied with the horror that awaited him the very next morning. In fact, even later that night when he would be arrested and beaten. It wasn't until after dinner, after the 20-minute walk to the Garden of Gethsemane, the place where he would be betrayed and arrested, that Jesus began to travail over the crushing task before him. He had known all his life what his assignment was. He had known all his life what awaited him. It was the very reason he was born. He was born to die for you and for me. But he showed no signs of fear or anxiety about it until just an hour before his arrest. Some of us spend the better part of our lives in the Garden of Gethsemane, worrying about and travailing over what we might one day possibly in the distant future be called upon to let go of or to give up or to lose or to die to. We spend, the <laughs> we spend the better part of our lives cowering in fear over the possibility of losing the better part of our lives, which makes no sense at all. See, the reality is it's only when we let go of our life, this is what Jesus was talking about in that first verse we looked at, try to save your life, going to lose it. If you give your life up for his sake, you will save it. See, only when we let go of our life, our self-made, self-directed life, it's only when we die to self that we, were that we are able to really receive the new, abundant, and eternal life that he has purchased for us. Is dying to self difficult? Not always, but yeah, most of the time. <laughs> most of the time it is. So why does Jesus ask us to take up our cross? Why did Jesus take up his cross? The Bible tells us, for the joy set before him. For the joy set before For the new, abundant, and eternal life, not so much for himself, because he always had it, but for you and for me. 
for, for your redemption and my redemption, for your freedom and my freedom. For the joy set before him, he endured the dying. So too, we can die to self for the tremendous joy that is set before us. The writer of Hebrews says, so let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for our sake and for paving the way, for giving, giving us an example to follow, letting go of the temporary things that can never ultimately give us life or satisfy it, letting go of those things and then embracing life rooted in the kingdom of heaven. Because of what you accomplished in your death and resurrection, death is no longer the end for us on the other side of death, whether physical death or death to self in this life. The promise of new life, the promise of heaven is ours. Thank you, Jesus, for rising from the dead and making that all a possibility.